What is innovation? Hmm. The word that means nothing and everything all at the same time. I guess for me, in order for something to be innovative, I believe Welcome to the Innovation Metrics Podcast, where we bring you the latest on innovation management. We provide insights on how to measure innovation, innovation accounting, and managing the uncertain process of developing new, sustainable, and profitable business models. You can find links to the main topics covered in this episode and information about the guests and hosts in the show notes, or go to our blog on innovationmetrics.co. Your host is Aaliyah Eilert. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Peter Le Piane, who helps organizations transform how they validate and launch products and services. With a background in startups, incubators, venture capital, and professional coaching, Peter has spent the last two and a half decades refining his consulting toolbox, serving a diverse range of clients, from mid-sized companies to large multinational corporations in various industries. In my view, Some of Peter's articles and publications are significant contributions to innovation management. Also, at times, I have the pleasure of working with Peter and can vouch for his knowledge, skills, and character. This is part one of our conversation. Welcome, Peter. Elia, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm super happy to be here and really excited to have this conversation with you. Let's jump right into it. Peter, we usually start off the show with with three questions and I'll just shoot. Okay. All right. Yeah. What is innovation? What is innovation? Hmm. The word that means nothing and everything all at the same time. Um, hmm. I guess for me, in order for something to be innovative, I believe there's got to be newness to it. So, um, but that's not the only thing that it must have. So yes, there's there's got to be a newness element to it. But you could argue, let's say, if you were, um, oh, I don't know, a manufacturing plant, and you found a way to create, uh, let's say, new efficiency, you might argue that that's new. Um, to me, there's got to be an element of never done before to it. Um, so something, not necessarily something that is launching rocket ships or exploring Mars quality, but something that a market has never seen before or never thought of before. So an element of newness. Now, to me, it's not just sufficient to just be new in that way. It's got to matter at the end of the day. So in order for something new to matter, people have got to care about it. So if there's no actual business model, we'll say, no container that allows it to come to a market and thrive in that market, both uh, in the way that it perhaps delivers itself to that market and the fact that the market wants it so much that, that it keeps asking for it, then is it really innovative? It's almost like, you know, if, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears, did it actually happen? So to me, really, those are the ingredients to, to innovation. Or, or for me, what makes something innovative? Yeah, sure. thank you so much. 
Mm-hmm. And how should innovation be measured? How should innovation be measured? Well, huh, that's an interesting question. When when we say measured, it, it's almost, I wonder, you know, is that looking for success at the end of the day when we're measuring it? Is it looking for the, you know, the an, uh, some form of impact? I suppose, how should it be measured? It's almost like, did it meet its expectations to me? So <clears throat> that's how it should be measured. You've got, when when you go and spend a whole bunch of brain power, a whole bunch of time, and a whole bunch of money to come up with something new and to bring it to a market that you believe is going to crave it so much that it keeps demanding it so much so that you've got to wrap a business model around it that is scaled so that it, you can actually deliver it. If you're going to go through all of that effort to actually come up with that, you must have had an expectation of what it's going to do. So at the very least, I think you've got to measure it according to that expectation. Because at the end of the day, if you, and and, and look, that expectation might be, might come from your competitors. Uh, it might come from some adjacent kind of idea as to what a scaled market looks like, given what your concept does, what your innovation does. That's all okay. So to me, measuring innovation comes down to what the heck did you expect in the first place? And once we understand those things, then that's what what we've what we've got to measure. Hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, love it. Thank you. The third question I always ask in the beginning, well, traditionally three times now, what are the biggest mm-hmm. blockers to innovation in large organizations in view of you? In yeah. Experience? Well, and I wonder, I wonder if we're going to end up kind of going back perhaps to mm-hmm. modify the definition or refine the definition of innovation and mm-hmm. perhaps even define what I mean when I say measure. So what are the blockers in my experience? <clears throat> they they tend uh, they tend to come from organizational design in my experience. So when I say that, one of the big examples that that I can point to is a funding model. So uh when I work in larger organizations say banks and insurance companies, what tends to happen is there's a pretty significantly large investment up front that is made uh, for something that is incredibly uncertain. There is only, let's say, uh, circumstantial evidence that this thing is going to work in the market. It's, it's, you know, perhaps, you know, the, the, in Canada, we're big on looking down to the United States. You know, let's say it's in banking and, uh, you know, if a credit card concept worked in the States, well, it must work in Canada. Mm. Well, that doesn't always happen because, well, it might not seem that way to the rest of the world, you know, outside of North America. Mm. Uh, Canadians and Americans are different and they okay. react differently. They behave differently in um <clears throat> in how they consume uh banking products are exactly the same so uh it the notion of of funding model let's just go go back to that if you know if we've got a funding model that that really has 
too big of an amount of money up front. What we're doing is really cramming a whole bunch of assumptions into the first release of whatever it is that that is still an untested concept. And what ends up happening is uh, is no one cares to validate any of those assumptions because that's just the way that it's always done. It's a million dollar investment or more, $10 million investment. Uh, it's the first release. I was working on a credit card in a bank um, and uh, I was trying to convince the stakeholders that $10 million was too much to spend on one on on the first iteration of this product that wasn't going to be the only iteration of this product but 10 million dollars was too much to spend i think about that if a, a startup had 10 million dollars to play with imagine what they could accomplish that's that's like series b series c type money so it's amazing in in you know in the corporate world how uh how how a lot of organizations especially ones that that don't do innovation quote unquote well <clears throat> they have funding models that are set up to make two big investments up front so to me uh, using that as an example it's really all about organizational design mm -hmm. there are uh, also aspects of, of course, incentives for everyone in the company. So mm -hmm. how are people incented? How are they promoted? How are they bonused? How are they praised in public? These are all things that are in the control of those who, uh, what I call, hold the keys to the organizational design. And typically, that's right at the top of the org chart doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily right, right, right at the top, but chances are that's where it should live. So when I see an organization that isn't particularly good at innovating, um, which, you know, I, I think we would both agree requires an element of trying multiple times so that you're trying your way to success, not guessing and, uh, and then just kind of putting the whole thing out there. So because we need this culture and because we need this funding model using those two things as an example or as examples we need an organization that supports that and if those leaders up near the top are unwilling to use their keys to the organizational design and take risks because this is risky uh, you know the, the, these large banks insurance companies whatever it is you know, multinationals that have been around for years and years and years and make billions of dollars a quarter, you know, all that success built on status quo, it's pretty difficult to build an argument to say, this is going to be better. We don't know. There's a promise that it will be. And we can point to some examples, but we don't know that it's actually going to operate that way in their environment. So <clears throat> it's, I get it. It's, it's a risky, a risky leap of faith. Um, but that's what it takes. It takes changing the organizational design, in my experience, in order for uh, an organization to become more iterative, or iterative, sorry, innovative. Yeah, fantastic. So some of the aspects of that organizational design are the, is the funding model. We have the yep. incentive structure. I mean, I couldn't agree more, right? What are other aspects of that organizational design that, that we can, you know, that we should look at? You know, should we, yeah, should I think <clears throat> there's something that I call the experimenter's mindset. I mean, this is going to come back to culture a little bit, mm. but culture is such a broad thing. 
I'm going to hone in on experimenters mindset. When I say experimenters mindset, what that means is that, that it's pervasive in the culture to understand and be able to hear and see when an assumption is being made. And that's a really difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. sounds really simple because in English, I don't know about other languages, um, you know, we've got these words that kind of indicate when an assumption is being made. I think, I guess, I assume it may. These are all really good keywords that if you're tuned into, and, and this is something that I do culturally when I when I when I go into a client is instill what I call experimenters mindset. So it's a, certainly a set of tools which you and I would be familiar with. Very much lean startup, very much hypothesis driven, um, and and that that's certainly a very important thing to to learn those skills, to flex those muscles, to practice, and to get good at writing hypotheses, you know, understanding what a fail condition is, all these types of things. Um, But, you know, alongside that, there's got to be a recognition and an ability to to kind of understand when are we making assumptions? What does one sound like, feel like? How do we really know? And, uh, you know, a a way that that I tend to, to kind of express this sounds really obvious but in context it it tends to you know raise eyebrows um if i think about what isn't an assumption i would call that a fact well okay fine can we all agree on what a fact is so then i like to have that conversation right and it usually revolves around irrefutable like there's no one can point to that and doubt it at all Hmm. world is round you know, whatever it might be. Well, some people manage um, to refute that, I have to say, but yeah. That's true. That is still out there. But I ha- I haven't run into such people, thank I'm, thankfully. I'm yet. quite confident that yeah, yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. I I think, yeah, that <laughs> it's sure that it's we... that it's around. Hmm. Irrefutability. So if we say irrefutability is fact, then everything else is assumption. Any notion of even the minute that we introduce one iota, one percentage point of refutability, we've got an assumption on our hands. Now, may, we may be okay with 1% refutability in the assumption we're making. That's fine. That's a whole other dimension that, that, that we need to play with. And this is everything that goes into the experimenter's mindset, not just toolbox, the, the toolbox that you and I are familiar with, but also a mindset and a way of being and a way of thinking and a way of acting and that's that all goes into experimenters mindset love it we i'm sure we circle back to that to these topics later sure to, to what we just touched on there very much how much uncertainty is acceptable before moving forward i guess that's kind of what i'm hearing there surfacing uncertainty and making uncertainty explicit that was that's kind of what yes. I would that's kind of how I would <clears throat> translate that for me in my part part of what you just said at least. Yeah. Yeah. Towards the other two things, maybe maybe two more questions around that. So we had the incentive structure and we had funding models. Towards maybe the incentive structure, do you have maybe a few sentences or so, some tips and tricks or thoughts? around how a good incentive structure should look like in order to change that aspect of the ecosystem 
of um, of how to remove the blocker or you know make it less of a blocker. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> well, and a start the answer with a story that I heard. And um, this is all uh, urban myth, really. But the 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 less is a good one. So okay, okay. the urban myth goes, let's call it IBM. So pretend you're an IBM. And um, so uh, there was a senior executive who's going in to see their boss, because they just made a $20 million mistake. And uh, this person goes into the boss's office, boss asks them to sit down. And the boss says to this person, <clears throat> why do you think you're here? And this person wrings their hands a little bit and says, well, I'm pretty sure you're going to fire me. And the boss says, fire you? Are you insane? I just invested $20 million in you. Now, that is the mindset that's required. Now, we talk about a tolerance for failure. Um, and, and I suppose that that's true. Like there, That has to be there. So in our incentive structures, typically, we are very much geared towards, um, towards success and success the first time. I mean, look at everything that's in our background. I, you know, you have kids, I have kids, everything that comes home from school. It's what are you out of a hundred? How close to perfect did you get? That's not life. That is not how life works. And it's certainly not how our world of uncertainty works. I would rather have so for me, what I try to, I try to pick through all that stuff with my kids and understand, are you improving? Because if you're improving and learning, then I'm okay with it. Uh, at the end of the day, you don't have to bring home, you know, 99 out of a hundred. It's, you know, are, are you improving? And, and sure, if you get all the way up there, can you keep it there? Um, <clears throat> so I think. You know, I, I, there, I'd, I'd say a tolerance for failure, but but I think alongside that is really, and almost more important than that, is a uh, um, an incentive system that pushes towards learning. Because I think, I believe, that learning is currency in the corporate world. It's not dollars. So the companies that learn the most, the fastest, those are the dollars that they're earning at the end of the day, like abstracted dollars, but that's the currency that matters. If you can outlearn your competition, then you're going to win. Might not be today, might not be tomorrow, but it's going to be pretty soon thereafter. One that learns the fastest wins, Eric Reese. Yep. Yeah, we're both disciples, are we? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. I don't know if you are. I would call myself that. I'm a bit extreme there, I guess. Yeah, disciple enough. I mean, a, a disciple, disciple that hasn't really been following lately, but, you know, yeah, disciple yeah. enough. Yeah. Original disciple. Oh, sure. Original. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to put something in words in your mouth. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of like what I hear there is still a bit of how in that story, which is a great story, how... Um, how a manager was treated maybe maybe an innovation <laughs> manager maybe project man, you know maybe but but not necessarily the c-suite or something right so when i'm thinking about 
these kind of incentive structures. And when we go to all the way to the top, let's focus one more time on the next. Let's focus on the C-suite, right? And we could go high. We can go yeah. think about boards. We can think about you know, you know. Ultimately, we will end up at what the shareholders want to know and so on. Yeah. But let's. So, but with the incentive structure, how can we improve the incentive structure so that innovation can flourish for members of that C-suite of the the CEO of the CFO yeah. of the <clears throat> Yeah. Well, how should innovation be measured? You know, I, I, I it, it comes back to that in my head. So, mm -hmm. if we're if we're doing it right, and if I were to paint an ideal world for yeah. us, yeah, please, I would I would love a way, and you know, I believe there there are ways, and you know, maybe, maybe we get into this conversation next. Yeah, let's presume for a moment that we have a way in an organization of measuring learning. Yeah. Who? the 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 people that get promoted the people that get bonus the people that get praised in public should be those who are learning the most the quickest for the organization for their teams if we had incentive structures set up that way then that would be a step in the right direction so let's try to get back into it so we're talking about incentive structures incentive structures let's say yeah for the CEO. So how do we design ah. an incentive structure? Let's start there. Let's start with the CEO and say, you know, this is how yeah. you get remunerated against. What would that ideal scenario look like? And then maybe what are the first baby steps towards it? Yeah, I mean, speaking of Eric Reese, um, as I recall at the end of the Lean Startup, and um, I can't remember what the stock exchange is called that that he, that he Long -term started. Long-term stock exchange. Uh, Yes, there we go. So <clears throat> look, in the ideal world, everything would be listed over there. Yeah. Because as far as I know, there's, you know, there, there, th th learning is currency over there. So we, it would, it would be simple. You'd have a board that's basically going, Hey, Elia, you're the CEO. What, you know, what are your learning metrics this quarter? This, you know, the shareholders are really wanting their learning dividends. You know, whatever, whatever it might be. So, you know, it, it, but devoid of that. Well, and maybe that's what we need. I mean, look, that's really no, what's amazing. driving us. I am, I am so happy. Like you're the first person that jumped to that jumped to the long term stock exchange because, yeah, I, I, I just throw this in right now. Sorry, like I had no idea how powerful this idea was for such a long time. I didn't know what he was doing, and. When I explored this question that we're exploring right now for a while now, it always came back to that. It's like clearly yes. it is an unbelievable vision. Like he's battling yep. the fact that he can't or they now really that that um, there are legislative issues, for example, that can't get rid of quarterly reporting. It's just not possible as far as I understand and things like that. So there's some very hard... Uh, uh, restrictions you know in order to achieve that goal but yeah th that's an unbelievable vision and the fact that you jump there right away it's... and say look hey, this is but that's why maybe we that's why it might make sense and i th and i know you were just doing that to um yeah to think more about to to maybe think about that ceo level kind of that's that's where the behaviors come from like i, <clears throat> I just heard from a colleague um who was 
who was after so that the banks in Canada have a very peculiar year end. They have a year end at Halloween. So I don't know if Australia does Halloween, but Canada does, the United States does. Um, so, and it's, uh, you know, spooky. So it's very odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to be. Oh, but it's just made for jokes, right? Like it's Halloween. That's their year end. It just makes me laugh. Every single bank in Canada, Halloween. So apparently, so that's coming up, right? We're, we're mid September. Apparently what's happening is there's some element of bonusing related to how much of your remaining budget is, or sorry, how much of your budget is unspent. Why is that a thing? The, like, why does that make any sense at the end of the day? I mean, I guess if you could take that money and invest it and make money off of it, sure. But it's just sitting there. What, what about mobilizing it into something new? What about, hey, there's the, there's well, the new increases. part of innovation? Well, it increases uh, important, holy moly, I guess I'm right, but I uh, hope I'm right, but it increases important uh, ratios of how your stock is valued. No? That's right. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's it, right? Like, so the behaviors all come from the share price at the end of the day, and the way that the the way that the reporting's done. Yes, it's quarterly. Yes, it's short sighted. You know, look at look at CEO terms. They're usually yep. two years. Nice. They're like a politician. Nice at the end of the day. So you know, it's two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It is worse. You're right. <clears throat> so, what can you really get done? You've got, you've got to kind of get in there, get some stuff done. And then at the end of the day, you know, it seems like they kind of cruise into the sunset uh, when, you know, when they're done. So their mandates are kind of choppy almost by design. Um, so it's interesting to me that, uh, that, you know, that these CEO mandates are are shorter. Now that said, we've got the, the number one bank in Canada has had the same CEO for almost a decade. Um, and, you know, he's, he's delivered. Yeah, he's delivered number one consistently, but of course, number one consistently using the measurements that we traditionally use. Um, now, you know, are they are they more quote unquote innovative than than their neighbor banks? I would say so. Um, but a bank in Canada is very regulatory protected. Uh, there are lots of things that <clears throat> that startups can't do in the financial services industry in Canada. And that's because the banks have a huge big money lobby uh, that keeps it that way. So, you know, there's another very, you know, very insidious system that keeps things the way they are, especially in this country and especially in that industry. Uh, Insurance is better, but it's got the same kind of thing going on healthcare to an extent same thing uh but banking is at the top of protected industries in this country for sure so let me let me try something let me um see where we land so let's say what what could be some tangible how how could we tangibly change this incentive structure what could be uh, what could kpis or look like so new products to market like products actually launched not successful or not mm. successful, but it, you know, I'm just throwing throwing things out, right? Yeah, yeah. Something where we draw on R and D spend and say we have to invest a certain amount of you know percentage into now what we call innovation that needs to then therefore be defined and you know pr- protect yeah. that budget over a period of time. Then it's probably going to be hard to feed 
you know, to count insights, I suppose. I don't see how that yeah. can how that can happen. I would love to talk to you about maybe later on in the podcast or even afterwards about some ideas um, of how to do what I would then call bookkeeping for innovation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. If, <clears throat> in a, I know some, anyway. Um, yeah, I'm just mumbling along to see to see where we land, right? And then yeah. Spike, you know, things that you already haven't yet, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, you know, to that level, like we could look at funnels and, and portfolios and things like that, but, you know, just trying to come to something specific, you know? Yeah, and, and you know, maybe through this conversation, we co-create something that no one else has thought of before. So yeah. let's give it a shot. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> look, if we both believe that at the end of the day, learning is currency, then it should be related to learning. So then the question I think is, how do we create metrics around learning that are actionable and are not vanity metrics? Um, you know, is it products to market? Well, I guess, um, but then again, uh, that feels indirect to me. So it's Good. it's not, mm -hmm. did you learn your way to it or did you mm -hmm. just luck your way into it at yeah. the end of the day? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, things like, uh, let's say, you know, in the lean startup community, we like to, to, to talk about uh, assumption to fact ratio. So, you know, again, irrefutability versus everything else. So if you've got a business model and you're converting assumptions to facts in a very kind of efficient, effective way quickly, then I think that's something uh, that that's that's worth measuring. So if we're, you know, a, a bank and we've got innumerable products, right? Lots of different things. We've got credit cards, we got mortgages, we got loans, we got you name it. Um, we've got, you know, business services. <clears throat> when we are introducing new business models to, to market, how quickly do we go from uh from assumption to fact in a business model? Mm -hmm. And, and how many of those have we converted kind of per team, let's say, or per product? That's probably the, the better way to think about it. Yeah. I'm not, I, I'm not sure how That's to cool. de-vanitize so it. Some, so some of the, you know, something, so I think I always say at least, and I hope it's a fact that, um, sorry for the pun, I'm hopeless, that Rita Gunther McGrath, <laughs> uh, I think she quoted in that in 19, 95, I think she was the one that said assumption to knowledge ratio. So we say knowledge, yes. facts, different words, right? But um, you say irrefutable facts. At the end of the day, that is maybe, that could be too much, right? And it's something that kind of, like one thing that is a bit problematic, let's say, in the in the innovation startup community is the term validation in itself, it it, yeah. it 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 implies an irrefutable fact you know very often it's really not it is like additional certainty less uncertainty towards yeah. something and um you know that that then you know it's that whole concept of you know perfect information and so on so on is is, is a tricky one i think to say yeah. to say that and and it's probably going to be gamed super quickly for sure. Come something there. 
The other problem I have, and then that's something I really don't know how to crack, is then we talk about speed. And then, oh, and then let me come to something that see if that's if that's more doable. So we say speed of learning is very important, like no question. Mm-hmm. And then say, but the other thing is also there's a cost aspect to it. Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> we want to learn something. So I always say we want to learn the right thing at the right time. That's number one. And you've published important articles on that, arguably, you know, the, very important. Then then we have doing, and then we learn that thing, whatever that we need to learn with the with maximum speed and minimum cost. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely true. That seems to be the core, the 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 I don't know the catalyst at, at the cell. The I, I don't have the right word for it. Off innovation management. That's the 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 yeah. unit, right? Now we kind of have to solve the speed money equation there. If we were to put that aside and we looked at the money side of things, so how much do we pay for learning? Yeah, I think we get to something, and it, again, it could be very problematic because it then could mean very little speed but you know large organizations are slow to begin with so yeah so that's, that's anyway. um but we could start doing something from a cost accounting perspective from a right so how much do we pay per insight in a sense that yes. would be sort of the highest level that's not enough because different insights cost different money different industries so it's not that easy right but um, start thinking about, so how much did that cost me right now? And that very much includes cost of uh, wages and so on. So if we properly start doing that bookkeeping for learning, for insights, I wonder you know, how far that can get us. Right? I've been talking about it for a while. Yeah. It, it requires data entry. But it, it doesn't seem too crazy, to be honest. It's not like, you know, when you and I think about report cards and some basic things we can do, um, you know, a few additions in the row of an report card, if a report card could start help us collecting, you know, vital information that we can definitely feed up. Like we had insights and in, let's say certain, I hope this is not getting too crazy right now. I'm just going to go ahead with it. Uh, let's say there are certain steps in your innovation system and in your in your in your funnel, right? So you have problem and solution and you know all these sort of things in your products in your product life cycle they sit in certain buckets. So you would expect different amount of insights, a different amount of costing per insights, and you know, just just to yep. get started and be tangible. And I think you have a basic structure, a, a start of something that is digestible and doable. You know, at least yeah, I would agree. From a costing perspective. Well, I think, you know, to, to your point, um, on the cost side of things, it's really already there. Uh, I mean, the, he, you can't get away from the accountants at the end of the day and the project managers who, who really are always going to track that. So these large organizations, you know, you, you know this too, <clears throat> will always be tracking cost. So we get that almost for free because the system provides it to us. So great. We get that part for free. However, now we need to somehow 
um, enumerate the learning so so that we can say it costs this much to get this much learning. So you use the word insights. Um, <clears throat> you know, all yeah. these things need a definition that everyone can look yes. at and point to and say, I totally understand what that is and I can measure it. Um, you know, whether that's going from an assumption to something that you consider is not an assumption, doesn't have to, you know, maybe it's not an irrefutable fact, which, you know, you talked about that, you know, a couple of minutes ago. Absolutely true. Trying to get to, and I think this is where, you know, whoever the owner of the initiative is at the end of the day, the product owner, whatever you want to call them, idea owner, they get to decide when they want to get off the ride. So the ride of learning. So if at the end of the day, that means you've got um, you've got a business model that you're trying to validate to put it in our vernacular, and you've got a, I don't know, 60% assumption to 40% not assumption ratio, whatever you want to call the not assumption, irrefutable fact, something less than that, whatever, up to you. Um, and you want to stop and you want to take thing to market. Well, that's you taking that risk at the end of the day. Maybe it's a cost thing at the end of the day. Maybe, maybe you're like, look, I ran out of money. I don't, I can't, I have to go now and let's see what happens. Or, you know, it gets cut. Well, you know, whatever, whatever the organization's, um, I suppose, way of treating uncertain things is, is, is really going to act on that scenario. And, and, and it's going to dictate what is going to happen. But I think, you know, either. You know, we've got a we've got a scenario where absolutely true. The cost is the cost, and we we almost get that for free because we have to track these things in these large organizations. Uh, but then it's saying, well, how much did we learn for that amount of money? That yeah. gets fuzzy. Yeah, that gets super fuzzy, right? Because like one insight is not worth as much as another insight, right? So it it. But I guess if we start off, if folks learn the right thing at the right time. Right? Yeah. If we know how to do that, then at least we have something that is tangible, it is measurable, it's controllable, it's improvable, you know what I mean? It's understandable. What we're saying with the system, it's not and it's not enough. But if we can say the money we put in here, the money that I've put in as a CEO, is at least used to degree to the degree that I can trust and mostly used to learn things. Not just anything, which is a huge problem, as we know. Folks mm -hmm. often learn stuff they should definitely not learn. It is the right thing at the right time, number one. Then I can see how much bang for buck do I get. Yeah, and that could be how. How do we do that? We would probably need another half an hour, but there there are ideas yeah. around. Hey, the same other team with a similar learning method. So if we break it down by learning methods. Right, qualitative, quantitative, whatever, like things like that. It gets more fuzzy in the later stages and with hardware, and I'm sure. But you know, if we start collecting these data and we can sort of they're learning a lot cheaper. Why? Yeah. That's a clear intervention. You know, we need upskilling. We need a bit of, hey, can you do that a bit faster? Can you do that a bit cheaper, please? Yeah. I don't know. There's so many problems. Like there's so many problems also that could come with it. But look, either we want to manage it or not, right? And there's a cost to to measuring and to to governance sure absolutely and then there is a risk of gaming you know you mentioned that too yeah 100 so we've, we've got to be we've got to be careful and i think anything that we 
I think one of the things that that can be overlooked in when when we go into organizations and say you know who who say I want to become more innovative, whatever in the world they mean when they say that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is the the change aspect to this. So, <clears throat> you know, I, I um, you know, you've probably been to the Innovators Conference um and uh you know all of these the heads of innovation and lots of consultants as well lots of talk about toolbox lots of talk about um you know how, how to get things done um but very little on the human aspect of change and that's something that i think is being left behind in what we do all too often yeah. So there's something that that I follow, which would be near and dear to every lean startup practitioner's heart, heart and it's called, strangely enough, lean change management. So there's a, uh, a guy who wrote a book called Lean Change Management. He's out of Toronto, um, and I know him half decently well. His name's Jason Little, and he is he goes around the world and teaches lean change management. Lean change management is basically the lean startup, but with human behavior experiments at its core mm. and how else can you it, 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 you know i'm probably preaching to the choir here because you you would believe this because you think in this way but when i you know when i go into clients and i and i talk to these big change people in hr departments and they're like no 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 we're going to add car this thing and we're going to plan the whole thing out for a month and a half and then we're just going to execute it step by step by step by step by step i'm like how how often have you seen humans follow a predictive path like how often have you been able to predict your own behavior on yeah, any yeah. given day so please 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 start with small experiments mm-hmm. and see what the humans do mm-hmm. So I think, you know, as much as we're lean startup practitioners, I think we missed the boat a little bit on the human change aspect of mm-hmm. things. And, and we just go, Hey, here's a bunch of tools. Here's a bunch of mindset. Mm-hmm. Just, to, you know, here, do it. I'm going to coach you and you just do it. Well, that's not how humans work. Mm-hmm. Funny, like there are two, two things, two things uh, to that. You wrote an article on that, didn't you? Am I, am I um, crazy? I don't know that I did on lean change management. Probably not. I mean, that's that's Jason. Jason is HR. Really? Did you not write something? I might have. <laughs> I dig it. I up. might have. I'll link it I here. can't remember. If it's not here, um, yeah. If yeah. it's not linked, it's not there. And uh, I own the thing. Yeah, that's right. If a tree falls in the forest, if an article doesn't hit medium, does it exist? No, it doesn't. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I might have. I'll resurface it for the world, Peter. Yeah. You're, you're, you know, you're, all your articles should be more known anyway. Oh, yeah. There, yeah, there we go. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate any any exposure. Totally. Everybody look everything up Peter ever ever wrote. Fantastic. Oh, We're gonna go for sure. Yeah. 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 Me- medium. I don't even know what my ID is. Probably Peter Lapiani, but go ahead and try it and is. spell that. I dare you. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah <laughs> links in the show notes everybody yeah yeah there you go no as i said earlier in the introduction absolutely some of these articles i think are landmark articles they're very very important articles oh that's um, that's very kind of you to say thank you this concludes part one of the episode as always you can find all relevant links to the topics we have covered and ways to connect with peter in the show notes 
Make sure not to miss future episodes and subscribe to the Innovation Metrics podcast via your preferred platform. Lastly, please do us a favor and share this episode with someone or even a few people who might be interested. Thank you for listening and happy learning.